we talk a lot about the work we do at the call and we talk about the podcast. They are two separate things. So this is um, how they work and then you can decide how they come together. Carl and I um, and a woman who is at Penn Law right now, I think, started this podcast like four years ago. It was something I wanted to do as a side hobby while I was still working at a bank. Completely independent. I knew what I wanted to do, and I sort of had enough contacts, Carl and I and other people, that we could do, like, we could do politics, organizing, news, local shit, that kind of stuff. And it was fun. The call actually came out about two years after that. It was mostly, if I can say, the idea of Jordan Howell who, like, wanted to figure out a way to do this. Um, so went through a bunch of iterations, and we decided to start this media project as a project of the, of the Network Delaware, who people know. They have Black Mothers in Power and all of these different sort of homes campaign and different sort of um, advocacy groups. <clears throat> and so a group of us stood up the call. The call is not, um, you know, there's no, there's no budget. Um, we, we do get, uh, 501c3 donations via sort of the network umbrella and we pay every, it's just a freelance volunteer operation. I think it's like 75%, um, sort of volunteer. I think Carl did get maybe a few hundred bucks from building the website. Yeah. So that's, that's good. Um, so yeah, it's, the, it's just a group of us trying to do different kinds of stuff. And if you look at the call, you, you know, you know what that is. Um, but I, I, it's come up lately, and I just wanted to sort of make that clear. There is some cross stuff. You know, if we do something cool here that makes sense to put it in the call for sort of like newsworthiness or just fun, like we put the, the 19th century baseball thing in, we'll do that. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're separate entities. I, uh, we're just, a lot of us are involved in both, so we're involved in both. So you take that forever, however you want to take it. Um, the other important thing is, um, and, and this came out again uh, a few weeks ago when I saw uh, Chris Barish at, um, I think it was the sentencing of, uh, of Jim, uh, Jim McCall, the, the, uh, the cop who shot Yaheem. And he was like, tell me what you do again. And I was like, yeah, I got a podcast and the Delaware Call. He's like, is there any money in it? And I was like, no, there isn't. We have, we have no money. Uh, we, we we make a few hundred dollars for the podcast. We love our patrons, though. Patreon.com slash The Highlands Bunker. We love you guys. Um, and we have enough money to keep the website up. Um, and so we just, you know, that's it. Um, just so that's clear for everyone. <laughs> because I've, uh, just in different contexts, I've taken some questions. And I think, um, well, I think the people listening to this will be interested in that explanation. Um, and I think it will probably come up later when we talk about sort of like um, the nebulous network of nonprofits. Um, but I just wanted to make that uh, clear for everyone. In the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast, this is your Highlands Bunker Podcast. We are here in the studio tonight. Uh, Super producer Carl is here uh, behind the editing table doing what he does, fact-checking, and looking at us 
to make sure we don't say anything that will land us in, in court. Um, our guest tonight uh, is a, a journalist uh, from our neighborhood. Um, she has also um, gotten me involved in a journalism collaborative that I think um, I've talked about before. Um, Allison Levine, um, thank you for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Never yeah. thought I'd got a chance to be on the bunker. Well, you never know. <laughs> you, one one never knows who wanders in here. To be perfectly honest, um, before we get to like the 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 current project, the nonprofit stuff, and all of that, I like to ask like local people um, where they're from, how they found their way to Delaware, how they grew up, what was it like, and sort of how they wound up doing the work that they do. Um, so you kind of take it anywhere, but yeah, it's always interesting to me how um, either people stayed in Delaware or wound up here. Yeah, no, I um, I actually kind of, I kind of, well, I grew up in the deep south um, in north central Florida, up right against the Georgia line. And um, that's, you know, my dad was working, my dad was an engineer and worked at a uh, an oxychem plant in that area. So that's where I went to school. And um, I really wanted to get out frankly it was uh you know it it's it's not florida like miami it's florida like yeah i was going to ask you is it like a rural area yeah, suburban area yeah. what rural area yeah it's called lake city lake and city. Um, some people know that area a little bit now because the villages is down near there but, okay you know, okay yeah so it's kind of in that area the villages are so huge though it covers it like a couple different counties on this that is correct but the villages is about 45 minutes from where i grew up and so it's it's very much the armpit of the South. You know, we had uh, we had a, a street called Division Street that literally divided the town in half. The railroad track. A lot of folks from the South will be familiar with this. And you know, black people lived on one side of the tracks, and the white people lived on the other side, and that was Division Street. So, I um, yeah, that's where I grew up, and I was I was looking for something different. I ended up going to Carolina, uh, going to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for school. And then moved up to Boston, to the Boston area, to be a newspaper reporter. That was my first full-time job up in Central Mass. And um, I really hated the weather because I grew up in Florida. And then all of a sudden, it was my car was under six feet of snow, and they wanted me to come to the office, and I did not understand this at all. So I had to get out of there. And I yeah, moved. Central Mass, you're going to get yeah, a little bit of snow. It was it was it was not really fun for a Florida girl with thin blood. So um, I started looking, and um, the first job moving south was in Delaware. So I said, hey, let's go. And uh, I thought we'd be here a couple of years. Um, my late husband, which some of your uh, listeners might know, was Jason Levine. Uh, he and I came to work at the News Journal kind of as a package deal, and uh, which was done back in the day. And I uh, thought we'd be here a couple of years and then move to the next town for the next newspaper. And, you know, life ensued. We had kids, bought a house, and here I am in Delaware 25 years later. Love Delaware. Yeah, Delaware is like that. It's like you can't get out. Yeah. You can't, it pulls you back in, sort of like yeah. the Godfather. It's a beautiful cesspool that just sucks yeah. you right in. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, I really never left. I went to the University of Delaware and then lived in Newark for a while, but I'm basically a Wilmingtonian. Yeah. Know? So there's something about it. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe you just have to be a certain, have to have a certain <laughs> kind of mind. I have, I have no idea. It's community. It's, it's yeah. about community, man. What, what drew, yeah. did you go to, uh, to Chapel Hill think like for, for sort of like journalism? Yeah. Did yeah. have an idea. So you kind of knew. I knew even when in I high was school, 10. Okay. I was 10 years old like when what, I decided. What, what triggered, what, what 
Do you remember I, sort of what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. I Of course, I didn't have the words when I was 10, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, um, it, it made me mad when people did stuff that they shouldn't be doing and they got away with it because nobody was paying attention. And I wanted to, I wanted to help tell the stories of what was going on. And I guess it was, I guess it's what we would call justice now. And um, also I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted us to understand each other better. I wanted to tell people stories and help people connect better. You know, why, why did there have to be mean kids and nice kids in fifth grade? Couldn't they just kind of, you know, sort of understand that people come from different experiences, have different opinions. And once you start to learn somebody's stories, you start to be a little more empathetic. So that's that's what was exciting to me. So, yeah, I was 10 years old. I worked at the Summer's Scoop at Summers Elementary. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. And decided I was going to be a journalist. And Did you I, like a box score for the wiffle ball game? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah definitely. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I went to, uh, you know, I was really very lucky. I got into Carolina, which is one of the best journalism schools in the country. And I went and studied with some really great people. You know, it was Chuck Stone. Um, There's um, Jim Shoemaker. A lot of folks might know that comic strip shoe. That was that was Jim Shoemaker. Now, am I so. am I wrong? Now, I don't want to. I, I want to be very clear on this. I'm not asking how old you are. That's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I didn't know whether your time there overlapped. I mean, the basketball team's always good. Yeah. But I mean, you have we had a we had a Michael Jordan James Worthy era. I was after Jordan. Okay. Um, no, Jordan were after Jordan and Worthy. I'm 48. I was a freshman when. Um, Chapel Hill, when Carolina won the NCAA tournament for the first time, it was the year that Grant Hill got us out on a got out um, on a technical foul. Oh yeah, the Christian Leitner era. The you Duke, know. yeah, the Duke yeah, era. Yeah, 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 Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean yeah. to bring that up. Yeah, well, it's painful. Yeah, you know. no, we're almost we're almost exactly the same age. I turned forty nine this September. Excellent. Yeah, so Excellent. it's almost exactly the same. So. <clears throat> You're not in a newsroom now and got into sort of uh, the nonprofit realm. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little bit? Because you 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 uh, you do work for um, sort of a, I don't know if you call it an aggregator. I don't know what you would call the Delaware yeah. Community Foundation. Um, and yeah. then you, but you have your own sort of project and your and your own thing that's about sort of independent journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is a little confusing, kind of like you were explaining at the beginning. I kind of have a couple of different jobs going on right now. But I, uh, yeah, so I worked at the News Journal for a while, and then I went on. I worked for state government. I worked for county government. Uh, then I went and worked in the private sector for a few years. And then um, 11 and a half years ago, I landed at the Delaware Community Foundation, and now I am the vice president for marketing and communications there. And the community foundation at the community foundation, we work with donors, with philanthropists, to help them do really good stuff for Delaware. We help them make their charitable donations as effectively and powerfully as they can. And uh, my job is I get to tell the great stories about generous people doing really cool stuff in Delaware. Uh, we also at the Community Foundation, we do what we call community leadership. So we kind of try to shine a light on important issues that are getting overlooked. Uh, we try to help people have productive conversations about different things that are going on in Delaware, try to make stuff better. And one of the things that we're working on is uh, looking at democracy 
and polarization and all of the the issues that go with with our our you know the challenges of having a living democracy and a little bit of that has been around um partly because i'm being a big mouth at work was uh I, you know it got us involved a little bit with supporting local journalism local news and information uh, we were able to start an internship program there through the community foundation uh, to build a pipeline of uh, local news reporters from underserved communities. Uh, so we did that at the Community Foundation, but I really wanted to do more for local journalism. Uh, so I decided to spin off. And um, you know, my boss, who's also one of our neighbors, is Stu Stuart Comstock Gay, and he's been super supportive of this work. So um, the Community Foundation helped me to launch my own 501c3, my own nonprofit organization the local journalism initiative and through that we're doing all kinds of interesting things and you're I'll a branch a, off so you did a branch off i did a branch so off. I, yeah okay cool yeah yeah, yeah i mean we, we again we did something similar the network is set up in a little different way to sort of already have a network of projects yes. happening that you know but yeah it's sort of the same similar sort of similar yeah. well, similar yes it, no it's very similar similar I, I, and i guess i mean similar uh, setup not uh, similar you know similar yeah. similar a similar setup where they were able to sort of help you start uh, your, your own project. Yeah, basically. absolutely. So they gave me kind of like what the call is, you know, they gave me essentially a fiscal sponsorship. So the community foundation is a collection of funds, kind of like little, everybody has a little bank account almost. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, I paid for it, but you know, they gave me a bank account essentially. And um, through that little account, I was able to do some fundraising to get my legs under me and and start doing this additional journalism work because we wanted to do a lot of different stuff to really build up community centered journalism for Delaware, looking at, well, first, you know, asking people, talking to people, finding out, you know, what do you want and need in terms of local news and information? And and then thinking about, OK, once we've talked to folks and heard what they want and need, how do we do that? And then started to explore that. I feel that. I mean, I, like uh, the the local sort of hyper local niche stuff is like our it's our bread and butter, you know. Yeah. Um, but you 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 hit the buzzword, so let's just get down to it. We'll start with this. Just as a little background, we met each other via this uh, collaborative because through your nonprofit. Uh, journalism project, you were able to find a solutions journalism national uh, organization that was able to get a grant to bring together all different kinds of media in the state to do to do some sort of work, solutions-based work. Um, the money comes from the Knight Foundation, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a national organization called Solutions Journalism Network. And that is its own organization. And they got a big grant from the Knight Foundation, which is some folks might remember Knight newspapers. So they, um, Solutions Journalism has a, a bunch of money to help build journalism collaboratives all around the country. And um, I got wind of this and applied and, uh, you know, had some conversations there. And uh, frankly, at first, they said, I called them and said, you know, what does it take to become one of your journalism collaboratives? Because I think they already had 12 and they only had room for 15. I said, well, what does it take? And they said, oh, it's a lot of work. You got to get all these organizations together and align and talk to people. And I said, OK, let me let me see what I can do. And 
I called him back five days later because this is Delaware. And I said, I got 23 newsrooms willing to come to the table. Is that enough? And they said, we'll be right there. Um, so they ended up giving us a $200,000 grant over two years to put together the Delaware Journalism Collaborative. Not everybody stayed involved. So right now, I think we have somewhere, it depends on the day, but somewhere between 12 and 15 newsrooms participating, including the call. Uh, I tried then, to quit everyone, but I was I pulled back in. <laughs> I tried to quit. I couldn't even, I felt like, I felt like George Costanza trying to break up with somebody. They were like, I don't accept it. We'll get into that though. We'll You're get still in, like that. We'll get, we'll, we'll get, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. You're Costanza in so many ways. Uh, I never saw you know, it before. I like, now I, I get it. I don't accept yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm actually uh, joking aside. It, it is, um, it's been a very interesting for me. Um, I think that there are, I think, Think, I mean, I, I you are correct. I, I think there might be opportunities for the stuff that we work on as the call to be able to to have a platform for it. Um, but to the back to the buzzword, like I, I'm not sure I understand exactly what it is that we're doing. And you, the the the, the thesis is that uh, we need to address a polarized. Um, society or or a polarized sort of Delaware or polarized polity or or whatever and we can do we can figure out solutions to sort of bring people together this is all very opaque to me so how how when when someone asks asks you which I'm sure they do all the time because they ask me a little bit so I think you must get this question all the time Okay, polarization, what is that? What's your take on it? Like, how, how would you, in five minutes, sort of explain to somebody how you would take a solutions journalism model and address uh, polarization? Even, like, what would you say the polarization is? How would you define that if somebody asked you what it was? Yeah, I mean, let's start there. I mean, I wasn't sure which buzzword you meant because I did kind of throw a bunch of them out there, didn't I? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, polarization, I think a lot of it started to really hit home for me around, um, you know, around 2016, you know, when we started saying, oh, you know, you voted for Trump or you voted for Hillary, or whatever it was, you voted for the wrong person. And that means to me that you are evil and or stupid. And I will no longer talk to you, work with you, engage with you in any way you are dead to me and that i think is problematic you know whatever my personal politics and feelings are i don't think that it is healthy for our democracy or our communities when we start shutting people out because of a label or a single belief and um you know, sometimes that it's really hard. It's really hard. And where do we draw those lines? But that to me is what this polarization means, is that when we decide that people are no longer human or worthy of engagement in our community, in our democracy, because of particular a particular political belief or stance that they have, or, you know, maybe another type of belief or stance that they have. And certainly there are lines. There are times when it is appropriate to exit or refrain from being part of something. But I think that we've taken that to extremes in our community and it's in our country and it's, that's unhealthy. Yeah. Here's, and, and this would be how I would respond to it. And I don't know. I wonder what you would say. 
what you're describing is is happening. I mean, what you're describing is true. I'm. I would probably argue that it's healthy. I'm not sure. The polarization is healthy. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, but I would definitely say that I could. We could talk about U.S. history for 20 minutes, and I could explain to you why I think this is perfectly normal and has happened all the time. Um, you know, uh, we talk about the January 6th thing. Oh, that was terrible. Well, in the 20s, uh, they had a bonus army. And guys looking for their World War I bonus marched on Washington, camped there, and Herbert Hoover and MacArthur ran them out with tanks in 31. Is that 31, Carl? You're always the fact checker. That sounds about right. Bonus it was, was pre-FDR, post-Depression. Pro, yeah, yeah, post-Depression, pre-FDR. So it's 31, 32. And uh, yeah, the DuPonts uh, tried to overthrow the government. We'll talk about that at another time. Um, the suffragettes as you may know, uh, did terrorism. Now, I'm not advocating terrorism. I'm just saying that the women who were fighting for the right to vote did terrorism. Uh, they burned down buildings. Uh, they th- woman threw a hatchet at, uh, at uh, the, the prime minister of, of the Great Britain. Um, you know, presidents have been assassinated. So I'm 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 really I'm I'm not I think it's as for some reason it's either more exaggerated today because of the digital age or it's it's hit the the bourgeois sort of middle class professional person differently than it's ever has before so all of this stuff has always been going on in the background but for some reason, Trump specifically, because you mentioned that, and, and, and other things that have happened, have specifically hit, we'll, we'll, we'll call this character the, the bourgeois legacy news editor, has hit that person particularly hard. But, I mean, if you, if you take a historical look at it, this is not new. Uh, and, and also, I don't know how else, so all of the times that we've had to do this, whether it's you know, the Pinkertons and workers, you know, having a firefight in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania's town, or, you know, uh, King being beaten on the Pettus Bridge. I don't know how we solve these problems by rational discourse, because we've never done it before. I think there has to be, you know, I'm not advocating violence. But there, until we until we accept that there's going to be there's going to be a, a a a radical sort of nature to all of these arguments, all of these political arguments, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, and I will certainly defer to your expertise in history because I I do not have that uh, depth that you clearly do. Um, I would suggest however that there are opportunities for us to have healthier dialogue about many issues um, not necessarily all issues and that's what I was getting at or what I was attempting to get at when I was saying certainly there are lines Uh, you know I, I 
I believe in a big tent. I believe that a democracy, a healthy democracy, needs multiple perspectives and points of view. I think that's how we get to the best community solutions is by having and being open to different ideas and conversation and that that is absolutely core to our democracy and to our communities that we we value diversity right i i you know this is sort of uh this is sometimes a point of contention right do we do we value diversity only if it's diversity of skin color um sexuality etc or do we also value diversity of thinking and i would argue that diversity of thinking has value and that doesn't mean we have to agree that doesn't mean we have to give up our morals or our values but I think that we can have healthy conversation around multiple issues. And there are certainly some issues where we do need to draw lines. Uh, you know, a big tent um, is certainly isn't going to include murderers, right? You know, there, there obviously there are going to be lines. Um, but I think that the question, the concern I have is when we take a political label and very often a national political label, and we assign it to people at a local level and decide that we hate them because of that label. Yeah, that's interesting. That's troubling to me. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's interesting because, um, and Delaware is not totally unique, but I think it's unique in the sense of the, of the number of people. The collaborative has, has done some polling. And, you know, I have questions about it, what it really says, whatever, but... but one of the things in Delaware that's that uh, were is, is these people who who sort of imagine themselves not affiliated because they don't want to be uh, labeled as X or Y. Really, I mean, um, they'll they'll pick something off the wall or they'll just be unaffiliated or or what I think happened in the survey, which I think is a fair assessment is that they probably pick a party because if they are politically, and this wasn't just voters, this was residents. So some of these people aren't even voters or are registered to vote. Uh, but for the people who are registered to vote, they probably register as something and then say something else when they're asked. It's possible. Well, I mean, I know I do. Sure. Well, and so, and for your listeners' context, the, this is a, a statewide poll that was conducted by Franklin and Marshall Center for Public Opinion Research um, that the Delaware Journalism Collaborative commissioned to uh, look at how Delawareans are feeling and thinking about a variety of issues. Um, and we're sort of just starting as a collaborative to get into the data now and look at what does it mean? Uh, part of the point was to understand, are we really polarized? And what is that? How big is that big middle? You know, we tend to we tend to think that uh, folks are either on one side or the other. Are they black or are they white? Are they Republican? Are they Democrat? M most folks are. We're we're all kind of on a spectrum in different ways, and I, that's part of my argument. I think is that we all have different shades in our in our beliefs and values and opinions and positions and that it there's value in those differentiations there's value in the gradients and that is i think where we can have more nuanced conversation that's what i'm really looking for is let's have some nuanced conversation yeah i mean i i i i agree with that simply because i'm i'm sort of in the same boat when i'm making political arguments is that i i try to not to look at anything in a linear way so i don't look at center 
left, right, because, um, you know, I make common cause with, you know, any any Republican or MAGA person, you know, bad mouthing, you know, a, a, a neoliberal sort of corporate Democrat because I hate them both. You know, I, I'm like, yeah, throw them all, throw them all in jail. That's fine by me. And but I don't, you know, so I I certainly want to think of it as a as a spectrum. Uh, because I don't want to be lumped in, you know, I want to be able to make my own arguments too, or as a leftist or as a Marxist, I want to be able to make it my own material arguments too. And say, you know, I don't, I don't, you're right. And, and maybe this is, maybe this gets to the crux of the issue that I have, is that we don't like being labeled X or Y, and, and it's a binary here, I mean, we, we don't like that. But the answer on a linear is in the middle, and I think the answer isn't in the middle. And I don't, I don't think, think it has anybody to be in the middle. It. Yes. And I think, which, and this is what I'm getting at, I think your idea is exactly right. If you can have conversations to say, actually, there's a critique that I can make of Delaware state government or your boss or, you know, how the, you know, how BPG works or how, you know, all of this, the banking works in Delaware. I can make it, you know, and, and and maybe you'll listen to me. So I'm in this situation now sure. because I'm making the same sort of point, but not like, not from the middle or from, not from a moderate. Well, and does what, there what, have what, to be what, a what middle? People, what people would call a moderate position. Does there have to be a middle? Not to me. You know, I think that's a part of our challenge is that, and this is part of what, this is part of why I care about the local news and information ecosystem because we have had we have become so nationalized in our news consumption and environment that we have gone to this this binary right are you a republican or are you a democrat and there's nothing in between and frankly does everything have to be in between a repu- is it a is it a linear i really don't think it is i really think that we can open our conversation to think differently and that we should not be necessarily devaluing people because they have picked a position on one issue or another. I don't think that we, um, I don't believe humanity is like a light switch. Our value for humanity should not be like a light switch where if somebody has a different political party label or somebody has a different position on abortion rights or somebody has a different position on a variety of issues, I don't believe we shut them off as non-humans. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, and and again, I don't. And I don't know what the answer is. I think people is. get caught up. I think people get caught up in political arguments, like that, like um, you know, for some people they are existential. But I I, th- I think you know. Well, that's a good question. Like on the abortion issue, and I know it's a hot you know it's hot topic, whatever. Like, I mean, are you comfortable if somebody if somebody's like. You know what? I don't. I don't think this. I don't think we should have abortions at all. You know, I think it should be left up to the states, and and nobody should get them because uh, because women need to have some responsibility for what they do. Do you want to listen to that? Because I don't. I think we should be able to have conversations. I don't think so. Okay. I think we need to. I because what I was going to, and this is the the idea I was having earlier when you were sort of explaining it about not having to have the same opinions. We don't. You're you're right about that. There's 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 a bunch of different ways to 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 do anything, but we have to come to some sort of a, a, some sort of group of the of the citizens here or the polity here have to come to an agreement on the framework and like what the framework's going to be. 
And if you're outside the framework, I guess you can, I mean, you're a human being. I think you should have health care. I think you should, you know, you should be paid a fair wage. I think your water should be clean and you should have affordable housing. But I don't really care what your political ideas are because they're not within our framework and I don't care. Because again, I don't, because I think certain things about, I don't know, human rights. And I wonder, like, I mean, I think we're coming at it from a, from a different angle. And I think we have to agree on a framework. Do you know what I mean? So if somebody disagrees with you on abortion rights, should they be allowed to have health care and clean water and be safe? Of course. Safe? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah, of course. And should they be allowed to participate in society? In what sense? Vote? Yeah, sure. They can vote. Should, okay, so they can vote. But but yeah. Okay. But we shouldn't we shouldn't pretend that their uh, opinion about abortion is good. We should tell them that they're wrong and move on. I I don't think you shouldn't. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking their opinion is wrong. I think that it is healthy for us to have conversation about that and not shun people from society if they have different beliefs from us, and that sometimes we actually might benefit from the thought process i think shunning is good and we wouldn't benefit from the thought process okay i mean okay. what's their thought so you give me so in your mind give me the thought process that we can benefit from for someone who comes to the idea that that you you don't have the right uh to an abortion yeah i'm so not what, gonna i'm not gonna do that i didn't mean i well you know what i'm saying yeah, uh, yeah no, you're I, right i shouldn't have asked no that that's question. okay i, I, I should have asked that question but i guess what i mean is in the abstract, it makes sense. In I, the abstract, I that everybody should be able to think what they want, and we shouldn't make we shouldn't um, ostracize or shun or make these people feel bad if they, if trans people make them feel icky. We'll change the we'll change the top. We'll, we will, we'll get away from, we'll get away from the abortion thing. We'll okay, we'll go to something less sensitive. Well, okay, great. I yeah. mean, you're right. I, it's all sensitive, right? I it mean, is all sensitive, and that's why we're talking about it, and so, that's why we need to talk right, about so it. Right, so we have to come to a sort of like, where, where do we, you, you mentioned earlier, where do we draw the line? I, and I don't know the answer to that, so I don't think I'm going to be able to give you a satisfactory answer right. here. This is, you, I think this is part of what I'm getting at, Rob, is I think we need to have complicated dialogue. We need to have a complicated narrative rather than saying, you believe this one thing that I disagree with, therefore you are bad. What's wrong with being bad? I mean, or you don't you don't belong in our community. Well, that's the difference. See, and and I, I hope I was clear. And you did ask me, so I, I think I was clear. I mean, for people who believe have the political beliefs I do, every person deserves every every person who's in the United States and everywhere really deserves health care, affordable housing, to get paid a fair wage, to eat clean food and drink clean water. Probably to have free uh, public. But if they disagree with you if on they abortion, with you, it's fine. Then they should be shunned. Yes, they okay. should be shunned in social circles. Like you should be like, you can't come to my house because your opinions are gross. The same way, if somebody was a racist, I wouldn't invite them to my home. Do I think I think that every racist in the United States deserves free health care? But I but in social situations, we should shun that person and make them feel bad, because otherwise. I mean, again, if you can if if you can demonstrate from a historical some sort of historical evidence, you can demonstrate that 
someone on some of these sort of like hot button issues, like like, uh, social issues, whatever, cultural issues, has been, if you can show me the racist who's been talked out of their racism through um, sort of logical, rational sort of you, you want to give us one? That Carl? actually has happened. To yeah, be but, fair. but 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 I mean, are these it these are ones a lot more than conversations? These though, are so. ones. I'm I'm talking about on a large scale. But I, tell me, tell the story at least. Yeah, I mean, the most famous example is the guy, the son of uh, the Stormfront founder. Oh right. He went to college and basically became woke and too woke. Uh, he's uh, yeah, he's like an anti-racist. I think he's uh, he's still not like a hundred percent there because well, a lot of these again, guys still have like I, the occasional like. Yes, and I know that that happens. I think it, it seems to happen. Like in the extreme, because I know that there's a woman from the Westboro Baptist Church yeah, yeah. who came out of that. Who Though apparently also still kind of transphobic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, it definitely happens. But I'm talking, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, a profile. But I think a lot of it comes with person. social sanction as well. Like, you're in an environment with a lot of people who believe a certain thing and they figure out you believe this. And it's sort of like, it. there's push and pull to it where it's, there's a push of like, hey, that's absurd you should not think that that's really un- unacceptable but also a pull of like and here's what you should be doing like like a carrot and stick on the situation i think is I, I need to find the story to figure out these specifics but i think there's often a there is a social sanction of like these beliefs are bad but there's someone who's like i'll help you work through that and like come out the other side of course we're talking about like hard hardcore race like literal nazis and like so uh, i think carl you're yeah, actually yeah. like kind of right where my head is is you know we are picking on the most extreme beliefs intentionally right it's provocative and we should be provocative and are there opportunities for us to make progress on some issues where maybe it's not quite as offensive or quite as difficult are there opportunities for us to talk about you know can we can we come to some consensus or movement on different community issues? You know, we were sort of joking about development issues before before we turned the mics on, right? And are, are there opportunities to think about different sides of an issue? I mean, obviously, you know, issues like race, abortion, transgenders, et cetera, th- those are going to be really hard for us to have productive conversation about. Not every issue is like that. And can we have productive conversation about some issues rather than just saying, oh, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat. We're not going to talk about whether we should try to improve the quality of the water in Wilmington or whatever it is. You know, can we can we come to some progress and consensus or agreement or at least at least complicated dialogue? Yeah, it's funny to me because like. I sort of agree with that. I do, and actually, I don't sort of. I definitely agree with that. But when you look for, just going back, just because it's a point of reference, going back to this polling, if you look at some of the things that we seem to have at least some sort of agreement on, if you believe the scientific sort of uh, pool of people that we've spoken to, you look at people don't really like what the legislature is doing. They are really interested in affordable housing. You know, there's a few things you can pick out. But the fact about the, what the legislature is doing and why they're not sort of addressing affordable housing, say, is because they're there to do a particular thing. And we've all agreed from a framework perspective that that's fine. Like, it's starting to change a little bit. I'm not sure what thing you're talking about. What 
Are you talking about a specific? Yes. Okay. We've all agreed that they're not to do very much. This is why John Carney is the governor. And you don't have to, I know we talked about this earlier, so you don't have to go into it. But like the reason that the Delaware way is a thing, the reason John Carney's a governor, the reason Pete Schwarzkopf's the Speaker of the House, the reason that Kim Williams is its just a terrible educa- House Education Committee chairperson, all of these things, is because the expectation that we have of our government is very low, and they can't even meet that. And so I wonder how we're going to, like infrastructure stuff, like, you know, water, um, schools is another one. Like, everybody says the schools are bad. But then nobody wants to pay their tax. Everybody says, or everybody, I'm just saying, the majority, I should say, or a, a, a decent plurality, would like to see affordable housing. But I had a conversation with somebody very high placed in the, uh, in the, ho- in the, uh, in the Delaware Housing Authority today, very high placed, only because he's extremely tall. We have no idea who you're talking about. Eugene. Uh, and it just so happens that, you know, NIMBY is real. Like, you know, and and I'm not speaking out of school because this is public information, but a certain town in Sussex got, you know, a a developer got uh, money, tax credits to uh, build affordable housing. And the poll indicates that people are sort of into this. And they went to the city and said, can you get us water and, uh, and, and sewer hookup? And they were like, go fuck yourself. We, these people don't want this here because of, you know, property values. So I wonder whether we've agreed on the framework. We say the things that we want. But we haven't agreed on the framework so that we're not able to challenge the people uh, I mean, we're not able to challenge capital. Let's be very clear about that. We're not, everybody has to pretend that what BPG is doing and what the Chamber of Commerce is doing is the right thing to do. We have to do that. That's, that's baked in. And so if that's baked in, I feel like all of these conversations are peripheral. And, I do, and that, that's why I question the impact. Does that explain it? Does that did that go to explaining it at all? Uh, it goes to explaining some of your thinking, sure. Um, you know, I'm I'm not really here to debate the nature of capitalism, though, and I think that that is that is not really the role that I'm choosing to pursue here. I am looking, I, I, and I at, guess what I'm saying is it it all it, like if if the if the if if what you're choosing to pursue is like progress or like getting through to people where they all agree, like if I guess what I'm saying is oh god no I not, don't not think all agree I shouldn't say all agree there's not consensus but where where people could be talked to, like where you can find sort of methods and concepts where you can talk to somebody about something. I think and that's certainly say, part of it. My larger interest is helping people have access to the information at the local level that they need to thrive on a daily basis, to build social connections, to build social connections and social capital in our communities, and to empower them to participate in our democracy such as it is. Social um, capital. What's how social capital? Um, 
I mean, I, yeah, it's another buzzword, I suppose. You know, the ability to... It has to, capital in it, so I have to ask. Okay, no. The, and it is it is kind of adjacent to, to capitalism, yes. But social capital, meaning um, the connections and relationships that you have to be able to get things done. Kind of like the, the, you probably have, you probably talk about political capital, right? You know, if, if um, you know, my son got, my son got pulled over a few weeks ago because he had taillights out or something and, you know, he got a ticket and there was all drama. I didn't know what to do, but I have a friend who is a lawyer. So that's social capital because I knew somebody who was a lawyer or, you know, if um, it's always about the kids, of course. So if my kid had an ear infection and it was the weekend, I couldn't get the doctor on the phone, et cetera. But I happen to have a friend who's a pediatrician. So I call my friend who's a pediatrician. I say, hey, I just I need some advice about this. It's those relationships that we have with other people that can help us get shit done. And how right. do we get everybody those? I don't think we can get everybody those. But can we build that up? Can we help build the social connections and weave that social fabric so that when somebody does have a need, that there's an opportunity? You know, it's part of what you're doing with your Why little library you, I, outside the uh, house, that's, right? I Susan, mean, Susan a, does have the little library. I mean, you're but let me helping ask you a question. social Before, capital. It's yes. a small way, and we all choose small ways to do you, these you things. You mentioned small ways, and, and you said you don't think we can get everybody that. Why don't you think so? I don't think we can get everybody everything that they need. No, correct. I I, I shouldn't say every but down, do to, I think down that... to the person. But do you think that there's a way? Ra do you think there's a way to get most people most of the things they need? I think there's a no? way to get more people more of what they need. That's not what I asked. I know it's not, and I'm not. I don't. No, I don't think I can get okay. most people most of what Why? they need. Why do you think that? I don't know quite how to answer that question Wait, is that I'm... talking about you specifically or societally more society broadly? yeah i mean i i'm if okay, you so don't think, see i communism. think okay I, i'm uh, not no, going to debate no. communism versus capitalism we could do this and we could do this we could do this in this i mean there are there are there are there are non-communistic uh, countries that guarantee everyone health care. Sure, but there that's are not non, everything there that are everyone non, There are non-communist countries, but we can build on this. There are non-communist countries and cities who guarantee people uh, housing. Sure. There are non-communist countries that guarantee people health care and have eliminated private schools and say everybody goes for free to a public school all the way through university. Sure. So there are, there are just choices we can make. Pretty straightforward sure. choices because other people are doing that. They're not communist. Sure, I want to be and that's very fine. clear about that. That is absolutely fine. Uh, so, so, the role so why that can't I we have, do those? We might be able to. Okay. The role that I have chosen, the angle that I have chosen to work on is building up people's access to local news and information that will empower them to pursue the things they want and need in our communities. That is the role that that is the the piece of the work that I am focused on. Um, you, there are other people who are focused specifically on building up access to housing. There are other people who are build up focused on building up access to health care. Um, I don't believe that I can personally do all things for all people. But the piece of the work that I can build on is strengthening people's access to the information they need at the local level that will help them assert their power on all of these other things. So whether folks are most passionate about strengthening environmental resiliency or arts and culture, workforce development, education, housing, whatever it is, 
we need good access to local news and information about those issues, particularly at the public policy level. And that is what I happen to have expertise in and passion for. So that's the angle that we're working on through the Local Journalism Initiative, which is the, the parent group of right. the, the collaborative. So, I mean, that is, you know, the fact that the Delaware Journalism Collaborative is focusing on polarization, that is it's a subject. It's a subject to dive into. The reason for me, my reason for pursuing funding and building up the Delaware Journalism Collaborative is to strengthen our community's access to local news and information. And I believe that by helping and empowering and funding our local news organizations, including The Call, We've gotten no funding yet. No, I, I don't mean direct funding. I'm just kidding. I, 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 I apologize if I'm I sorry, suggested that, that. Again, I have okay, to. I, I, should not, I should say right. most of the stuff I say in here is a joke. It's all good. Sorry. All right. So, <laughs> we, I, snarky, I didn't give, yeah, that, I didn't give that caveat. I'm but, sorry. But so the reason that I pursued the funding for the collaborative as an entity, not individual organizations, is to try to strengthen folks' access to information so that they will have access to information about where they can vote how they can get their kids registered for school, when the ramp is opening on 95, what is that big Walmart-looking building opening down the road, and are they going to be hiring? You know, how can I leverage local news and information to help me and my family succeed and to build those social connections? How can we produce content, stories, about the family moving in next door to you that looks different from you? Or um, you know that the new um, I don't I don't know what it could be, but whatever group of people looks different from you or feels different from you or somebody you just don't know that you want to know more about, and how can we build empathy? Because that building telling people's story it's hard to hate people up close, right? So if somebody looks different from you or feels different from you or it speaks a different language for you. But we start to understand their stories, their challenges, their life experiences, what they bring, what are the assets and the challenges that they bring to your community, we start to build those social connections. And that's what weaves our social fabric. And that information about the public policy changes being considered at Leg Hall, right? Um, maybe Leg Hall is, maybe the legislators are talking about changes to um, education formula, excuse me, education funding formulas, but they haven't made those decisions yet. But I think our community needs to know about the ideas that are being discussed before it's too late. And they need to know who those decision makers are and what their phone numbers are, what their email addresses are. And that, I believe, is a form of empowerment through information. That's that's what I can bring to the table, and that's what I'm trying to build through the Local Journalism Initiative and through the Delaware Journalism Collaborative. Can I solve all the ills of the world? No. I wish I could. No, I agree. I mean, number one, I agree with that because, I mean, that's basically what we're trying to do. Of course it is. Is, 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 show, is tell stories of like, hey, this person's an advocate or this person learned about this thing or got involved in this thing. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with all of course that. Of course you do. And, you know, we were joking beforehand that you're journalism adjacent. We're journalists. We're people who are telling stories about our community 
And, you know, even though, of course, there are things we hate about our communities, there are things that we dislike, whatever it is, there are things that make us angry. We're still trying to make it better because we care about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, I think a lot of it goes to, um, like, I mean, I, I'm always going to look at things through, like, a materialist lens. And so when you talk about social capital, because I certainly had it, you know, if I got in a, you know, if I got in trouble, I knew, you know, how to get a lawyer or I knew I had money to do whatever I needed to do to sort of get out of it, whatever. Um, but really, that that mostly comes from, well, it mostly comes from inherited wealth, mostly. And, and so there's a lot that we can do to, um, to get information out about how people can leverage what what power they do have and say, look, you, you know, you have a, you have a representative that has to take your phone call. Here's how to reach. Right. But in order to do that, we have to provide them with that information. Absolutely. And that is a piece that I think that we can relatively easily, that's a piece of power that we can relatively easily provide to a lot of people, you know, not, I can't, I can't make it so that everybody who lives in Southbridge is related to or has a friend who's a lawyer or a doctor, right? Just by virtue of the nature of that population's history, they're less likely to have that type of social capital. What I can do is help that community have information about who their legislators are, what they are talking about, what are the policy issues that might then affect that community, and how can they raise their voices? Yeah. I mean... I agree with the first part, and I agree with the second part, too. But I, I guess that I think there is a way, and I think you are very well-placed to, to, to help do this. There's a way, actually, to get... Or the fact that, the, the, the fact that, that people in, in underserved, impoverished, historically oppressed communities don't have the social capital, there's actually a way... Um, we can really start tipping the scales other than just information or it, it can be part of the information, but your information is, um, is sourced and informed by, uh, historical material analysis. So people know why to, how they got to the place that they're at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, and that's... then, and then they can, and then they can leverage whatever they have with the knowledge of how they got to the place that they're, they are. Because I think you're you're more I, I and I'm, I'm interested to hear Carl's sort of take on this because he does a lot of sort of on the ground grassroots political work like you know like hey here's what's happening in Lake Leg Hall and here's who you should call if you care about this stuff I mean I I, I mean do you, what's your what's your take on this on this argument about information as an important tool as, ab to... about information as yeah 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 like how how far does that go. I mean, what, what's your take on it? I mean, there's a few different elements to it because I think it gets to also what we might think of as traditional journalism versus advocacy journalism in terms of, I think traditional journalism, like I've spent a lot of time in recent weeks on newspapers.com looking through old news journal articles. And it's amazing because the news journalists had this massive, uh, this massive newsroom with a lot of people covering a lot of different stuff and just the, the coverage of legislative Affairs was just a lot more robust than it is now. Not 
not any discredit to Meredith Newman or anybody who's doing that work now. Like they do great work, but there's just so many fewer of them that it's it's difficult to get the same level of information. And so I think that having that information, having actual coverage of what is going on and how people can affect it is really important. Um, But then I think also when we talk about like advocacy journalism and talking about telling the stories, not just of how you are supposed to change things, but how people have changed things or how people have tried to change things that hasn't worked and doing a little bit more analysis of that in ways that often are, you know, not particularly conducive to the status quo and the way things work mm-hmm. because uh, Rob said, oh, you have a legislator. They have to take your call. No, they don't. <laughs> no, well, they do uh, right, not. Right, right. I should have been uh, clear about that. They do. Believe me. Believe a lot me. Of them He's don't. right about that. A lot of them do not. Um, and being able to do things like be like, hey, you know, they tried this strategy and it didn't work. Uh, they tried this strategy and it does work. Um, and like, hey, this person kind of did this. And like a lot of, you know, sort of traditionalism does that in terms of like, hey, they, you know, X group tried Y thing. It didn't work. Uh, this legislator took this vote. They didn't do this. Um, and a lot of that is just you need the manpower, the power just to like have people looking into that information and being able to like build those connections. Like social capitalism, I know for journalists is an important thing because one of the issues we run to in Delaware is that when we swap out political reporters every three years, those connections that they built and like this institutional knowledge they built goes away, which is really frustrating. Well, and let's be real. That's not a Delaware thing. Oh, that's, yeah. It's, every, it's an everywhere thing, thing now. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and I think you're absolutely right, Carl. And, and you know, to be clear, I think there's an I think advocacy journalism is hugely important. And that's why I think it's critical to have the call, why it's critical still to have Rob. To quit, though. I know. But that's why I really think it's critical to have Rob at the table. Here's what I think. Can I ask a question of how you frame that? Because mm-hmm. um, I do like... I'm interested in, in, in where people's minds are at <clears throat> because if 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 there is a story about a situation about a specific person uh, or a specific piece of legislation and you're like, hey, these are the facts about it. And if you want to call your legislature, legislator or your representative and tell them to do this or that, you can you can do that. But and you can do that story. But if you tell that story and you also say, you know, the reason this is happening is X. So there's some historical context. And also you can um, you can organize with your neighbor and your union or what we used to have or or you can you can get a bunch of people together and you can do something like I feel like the, now you're advocating. You're telling the same story, but if you tell, if you give people a little more information, like the historical context, and that they can they can organize with a bunch of people, then you're advocating. I don't think that's necessarily advocating. I okay. think that I think that if you're if you're if you're promoting a particular perspective, um, a particular policy position, that would be moving into advocacy. But if you are saying you can organize with your neighbor on the issue you care about, on whichever side of the issue you care about. That I'm sure there's a nuance I'm missing. Here, no, I think that's I, I think that, makes that sense to me. you know, and that I think is, and is that tough for me sometimes? Yes, absolutely. Of course, there are issues that I'm personally passionate about. What I try to, I, I don't believe in objectivity. I believe we all bring personal experience to the table. I do believe we can try to strive for presenting information fairly and accurately. And without bias to the extent that we can. Yeah, but and see, at least be question. transparent like, about that. So I, w- I always ask people, because I, you know, obviously I have this conversation all the time. 
I, you know, I can present present something, uh, you know, factually, in a very sort of like straightforward way, but people will still say, "Well, you you have you're obviously espousing a point of view because of the way that you explained it," which is fine. I don't have any problem with that, but I don't know whether that. I, I I think what you just described could also be advocating. Like, so I'm always very confused about, do you know what I mean? It could. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is very difficult. And I don't think that there is a super perfect, clear answer, which is, again, part of the reason that I think it's important that we have lots of different voices at the table so that we do hear different perspectives. Allison, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. This is This was... I. I felt it was productive. I'm sure I'm going to get some feedback one way or the other. I'm sure I'm going to get some feedback. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. I love it. Look, uh, uh, here's the thing, folks. Like, we can sit in here and, and, and have a nice time and, and have these conversations or whatever. But the fact of the matter is we really are trying to do something. You know, we're, we are trying to, um, you know, we're, I do think that having these conversations and having people consider them are going to be helpful because you have to understand, you know, where this information is coming from, what's the historical context, how it can help you and what you can do, what you are empowered to do. And I, and uh, maybe I did agree with you too much. I don't know. <laughs> if I did, I tell you what, if I did agree with you too much, people are going to tell me. Well, that's okay. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of things we can disagree on too. So, <laughs> Folks, uh, it's patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, it's at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. And, and look, you can follow uh, the Delaware Call at DelawareCall.com. Um, you could even, you know, throw us a few bones if, you, if you're so inclined. I mean, we're just scraping by, folks. I think I've been very clear about that. Thank you again for coming. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks. And uh, no matter what anybody says, left is best. Yeah.